Welcome to Pathfinders, a topical series for men. The world around us is a mess, and it's changing rapidly and not for the better. Men are struggling to find their way. They find themselves in a forest of issues and challenges that has grown up around them, and there does not appear to be a clear pathway out. And because men are the way they are, they might not even realize that they are lost in that forest of issues and challenges. And even if they do realize it, they may not ask for help. Any forest, no matter how dense or unknown it is, can be navigated if there is someone who knows the way, knows where the pathways are, knows where the danger is, knows which paths to take and which ones to stay away from. My objective for this series is threefold. First, to help men understand their circumstances, their situation. A man cannot know where to go if he does not first know where he is. This will also include helping them to see their need for a pathfinder in their life. Second, we all need pathfinders for some part of our lives. So what should we be looking for in a pathfinder? What are the traits and characteristics of this person, of this man, who will help us to find the right path? Third, all men should aspire to be pathfinders. This series should give those men who sense the calling to lead others the tools they need to be pathfinders. Ultimately, this series is about discipleship. This world is a mess, and there are lots of reasons why the world is the way that it is, and it won't be fixed until Jesus comes back. Until then, God is calling his men to stand up and lead people, as many as will follow, away from the darkness that is so pervasive in this world. The world has a leadership problem, and God has given the church the power through the Holy Spirit to do something about it. It is far past time for God's men to stand up and start leading. Welcome to Pathfinders. Gentlemen, welcome to the men's breakfast, and we continue our series, Pathfinders, leading this generation in true manhood. For those watching online, um, I know I talked to Patrick yesterday. I said he was going to be there. God bless you. Uh, Those of you that watch this later. As a rule, humans prefer to exist in a state of equilibrium where everything is in order and everything is in balance, where there is peace all around them. They want everything to be in its right place, in order. They want balance. What's the problem with that desire? Well, the problem is that order and balance are relative terms. What is ordered for one person might be disordered to others. We see that pretty commonly in our culture today. Gender identity is one of those places where we see it uh, graphically and profoundly. To a man who believes or at least says he believes he is a woman, order would be that everyone around him would treat him and believe that he is a woman also. That would be order to him. And to that person, it would be disordered for someone to refuse to use their preferred pronouns. So if you got someone that says, you know, this is what I believe I am, even though it's contrary to nature, if, if you don't go along with that, that would be disordered to them. To the person who refuses to use their preferred pronouns because they don't believe that you can be something opposite of what you are, they, they would feel that that is disordered. And to that person, they would say, no, it'd be disordered for me for me to see you as something other than you actually are, to refer to you as a woman, in fact, you are a man. It would be like me believing that I am the king of California. My preferred pronouns are 
your majesty or your royal highness. So, you know, that would be, that would be order to me if you would refer to me as your highness or your majesty. Why is that disordered? Well, because it's not true. I am not the king of California. Even if I believed I was, in reality, I'm not. So it's delusion, right? And so if people are operating in a state of delusion, then, then their, their order, there is no order in their life. The order that they have, the order they imagine, because that's all it is, it's an imagining of some order or some, some um, desire of equilibrium and balance in their lives is based on something that is not real. And so if you have one person that believes this thing and wants order and, and equilibrium based on that, and then you have another person that sees the world differently and sees a different form of order, a different form of reality, and then you put those two together, what do you get? Disorder, conflict, you know, the opposite of equilibrium, which probably would be chaos or something. I don't know. I didn't think of that. Now, mo most of us rarely find ourselves operating in that cesspool of weird ideologies. We know they're out there, but they're not really touching our lives directly. Our disorders and imbalances are going to be found in much more mundane areas of life, in our marriages, in our families, in our, our jobs, in our, in our church life, wherever it might be. We're going to find these areas, and they're, not, they're probably not going to be so profound as that, they're, where they are just, just diametrically opposed ideologies. They're going to be more subtle. They're going to be more, more um, you know, less... less weird but sometimes they can be in the smallest of things that can that can create disorder or the, the lack of equilibrium in their lives it can be things like differences of personality it can be can be like you wanting to watch hunting shows and she wants to watch cake decorating shows they can be little things like that it sometimes can be just life happening around you. Some of you may know that <clears throat> our daughter-in-law, Rachel, recently had um, what is being described as a neurological event. And, and it manifested pretty suddenly and, and profoundly. Um, she um, lost the ability to speak. Um, she lost the ability to walk. And um, she was struggling to breathe. Um, in essence, what they said was going on is that her brain stopped telling her body what to do. Uh, she was hospitalized for several days. Um, she is now home recovering. Um, it's going to be a process. The therapist that came out and says they, they will treat it as if she had a stroke. Though she did not have a stroke, they're going to treat it in the same way because many of the physiological effects are the same or the neurological connected to the physiological is the same as a stroke. My son, Philip, works in Yorba Linda. So Kelly and I, mostly Kelly, have had to step in to help in life. Now, this takes our life out of balance. Yeah, we had, we had gotten into a place of, you know, okay, we're, we're where we are. We're dealing with the things of life, and things are going along. We found equilibrium, because that's what we do. Whatever circumstance your life you're in, you, at some point you find equilibrium in that circumstance, whether it's good or bad. You're moving along in that. All of a sudden, something else shoves up. Something else happens in your life that takes you out of balance, out of order, out of equilibrium. And, you know, and Kelly and I now are, are being squeezed and 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 stretched in ways that we didn't expect to because well Rachel having this event was not in our plan right you know most of us could say that uh, I would not have put that in my plan either right would, I mean would you guys agree with that okay that's not that's not something that I'm just going to throw into my plan um, you know the stroke getting a, having a stroke okay that's not in my plan those kinds of things just don't we don't plan for them they just happen 
in our lives. They take us out of order. They, they, they mess with our lives. This morning, I want to talk about how men of God ought to respond to the stresses and interruptions and changes of life that, that come to disrupt our equilibrium, to, to mess with our order. So if you will, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings 19, and, and you guys have already talked about this text, but I'm going to do a quick little review of it. You know, in, in the context of this verse, we have the, the, the prophet Elijah was called to minister to the northern tribes of Israel. And at the time of this account, Ahab is the king of Israel, and Ahab... Um, and, and, and Elijah has already had interactions with Ahab. They've, they've talked about it. Ahab is a wicked king, one of the worst. I mean, he's married to Jezebel, who is the worst. I mean, of all of the women described in the Bible, she is probably the worst of all described. She is the epitome of wicked women. That's why, you know, when you know, sometimes you want to say something bad about a woman, you might refer to her as a Jezebel, not a good person. God had caused a drought in the land, and um, it led to a famine that lasted three and a half years. And, and God had been working in Elijah in, in many ways, done many miracles with Elijah and ministering um, his word, his truth to the people around him, warning them, guiding them, leading them, all these things. And, and I mean, even to the point that God used Elijah to raise a boy from the dead. And so, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's somebody who's had some real significant and radical encounters with God. That God sends Elijah to Ahab to let him know that the drought is about to end. And God does that so that Ahab knows where the drought came from and who ended it. It, it was God. It was not, and, 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 and to tell Ahab that he needs to get his life right before God. Not that it really works, but he wants, he wants God wants Ahab to know who's in charge. And so he's going to say, it's going to, you know, the, rain, the drought's going to end, it's going to rain. Before the rain comes, God inspires Elijah to call for a contest, a contest of the prophets of the false gods of Baal and Ashtaroth um, versus God. And so, okay, let's, let's see which of these gods are real. And, and so, I mean, you know it, it's 850 prophets against one. 800 false prophets against one prophet of God. Radical, cool story. We know what happens. You know, God proves that he's the only true God. And then Elijah has all 850 of the false prophets put to death. Then Elijah goes and prays and prays and prays and prays. And then all of a sudden there's a little cloud off on the horizon. So Elijah goes to Ahab and says, okay, Ahab, it's time to go, and you better hurry, because if you don't hurry, the rain's going to stop you. And then God does this really odd thing, but it's very cool. He enables Elijah to run ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel. I don't have any, I don't have any idea what the actual distance is, but it's pretty far. And, you know, here he is, this, this kind of oldish dude is outrunning a horse drawn chariot. I mean, you have to, what was, what was Elijah thinking? Can you imagine how he might've felt at that point? How he might've felt, man, God is big. God is strong. God is amazing. Look what he's done in me and through me. Well, then Queen Jezebel finds out what Elijah did to her prophets. And so she sends a messenger to him to let him know that she plans on having him killed. And what does Elijah do? Does he laugh and mock her and turn his nose up to her and say, yeah, bring it? 
which, by the way, a few chapters later, if you remember, Elijah was sitting on a hilltop, and the king sent some guys to come get him, and he had them burned up with fire. But here he is, Jezebel threatens him, and what does he do? He turns and runs. For 40 days he runs. And he ends up at Horeb, the mountain of God, which is where Moses encountered the burning bush. And so here he is at the same place, and he also has an encounter with God. So we'll pick it up in verse 9 of 1 Kings 19. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, God said to him, the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now let me ask you guys a question. When God asks a question, does he know the answer to the question? Right? God, God, God knows everything. He knows everything, which means he knows the answer to all of his questions. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows what I'm dreaming. He, know, he knows everything about everything. And God asks him this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? God knows the answer. He knows what Elijah is going to say. But when God asks a question, because he wants us to hear the question and to answer it and to hear our answer and then ultimately to hear God's response to our answer so that we can get to know what it is that God, God's trying to speak to us in some way. And he starts by doing asking these questions. Verse 10. So he, Elijah, said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Oh, God, I'm so amazing. I'm the only one, God. I'm the only one that loves you. I'm the only one that serves you. I'm the only one. And before we're too critical on Elijah, we've got to recognize he's tired. You know, he is, he is, he is, he's in this dark place, and he can't see clearly. So he tells God this, and he tells him, that, man, my life is so hard, God, so hard. Verse 11, then he said, he, God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a small, still voice, verse 13. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God asked a question. He knew the answer to it already. And then he asked the same question again. What does that mean to us if God asks us the same question more than once? We didn't answer it right the first time. But what does Elijah do here? Let's read his response. Verse 14. And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Wait a minute. Isn't that what he said the last time? Oh, it's exactly what he said. Torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Elijah feels alone. He feels defeated. He feels you know, like, just, just kill me, God. I'm done. He runs away. He runs away, far away. So what will God do to encourage his prophet? What will God do to, say, you know, to, you know, to help him to gird up his loins for the next part of the journey? Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. How did God encourage the prophet Elijah? Ultimately with one word, 
go. Go. Elijah was, wasn't finished yet. And if you keep reading through 1 Kings, you're going to see that God still has a lot of things for Elijah to do. Elijah was a man of God who got distracted from the path God wanted him to follow. Here he is, 40 days away from his troubles. He's run 40 days away. And then God tells him to go back. Go back where? Uh, Where you were. Go back. And Elijah did go back. And God did mighty things through Elijah. One One of the traits of a pathfinder is resilience. Kevin talked about it. He kind of prefaced it. And before we talk about what it looks like in a pathfinder, we should define it. A pathfinder, or the word resilience, means the capability of a strained body to recover its size and shape after deformation caused especially by compressive stress. Uh, we might might see this like if you have like a, a block of foam and you you press your hand down into that foam and you pick your hand back up and that foam re- restore comes back to its original shape. That's resilience, and you can measure the degree of resilience by how long it takes and how much it how close it gets back to its original shape. The second definition is the ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. That's the definition we're going to be focusing on this morning. That, that Elijah had been going great. He'd been running strong. He'd been doing radical things for God. And then a, a, a stress was applied to his life. And it, and, it, and, it, and it disrupted the path that he was on. And, and his response to that stress was to run away, to run to the hills, to run to the mountain of God. He caved and ended up in a cave under the pressure of the threat of wicked Queen Jezebel. After he'd just been a part of God's miraculous work, the account of him on Mount Carmel is, to me, one of the most profound accounts in the scriptures. As, as, the, the, as you watch the ridiculous behavior of the false prophets trying to get their imaginary gods to respond to them and, and dancing and chanting and cutting themselves and just screaming and bellowing to get nothing to respond to them the foolishness of it i mean is it is that not a good description of the world that we're living in today the world we're living in today they are trying to get nothing to respond to them to get to get the literally the non-existent to 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 bow down before them and to respond to them and then Elijah just walks up there and he does the, the exact opposite. He does everything opposite of what you would expect for someone to do in that circumstance. And what does God do? God responds. And then he runs away. Runs away. Resilience is an expression or an evidence of faith. Elijah's faith was rocked. The threat from Jezebel rocked him. It, it shattered something. It broke something in him. And his response was to run away. In Matthew 8, Jesus told the disciples to get into a boat and to go to the other side of the lake. And in in the process, Jesus laid down and went to sleep, and, and then a storm arose, and the disciples freaked out. They, they were losing it. These, some of them trained fishermen were losing it. Matthew 8.25 says this, Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you 
of little faith. Elijah broke under the stress of Jezebel's threats. The disciples broke under the fear of this storm. Stress and pressure are a natural part of living in a broken world. If you're hoping to live a stress-free life, that's not possible. You could be alone and still experience stress, but put yourself in close proximity to other imperfect people, you're gonna have stress. You're gonna have these natural pressures. And that's gonna be especially true if you choose to follow Christ, especially if you choose to follow him so closely that you do what he called you to do, and that is to lead others to him in whatever way he made you to do that. If you do that, you will experience stress. You will experience pressure. You will experience something coming against you to try to prevent you to do that because we have an enemy that hates the fact that first we are made in the image of God and then that we've allowed God to, to save us and indwell us and then have the, 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 the nerve to take that message out to others. He hates that with a kind of hatred that humans cannot possibly understand. There is no human equivalent to it. Stress is going to happen, but it doesn't have to break us. Pressure doesn't have to crush us. You know, we, we in our family now are experiencing probably the best description of those two is pressure. The weight of, of what's going on is adding pressure to our lives. It's adding stress as well because trying to keep everything in balance and all of that. But we're not the only ones. You know, we can look around the room and see, you know, the stress of, of, a, of a, a thing that just won't go away. A pain that just overwhelms our senses sometimes. We can, you know, we can walk around. We can walk around this room and, and there's, there are people that are taking care of elderly parents. There's stress and pressure that, that comes from those things. There's the stress and pressure we have of looking at our, our extended family and seeing the, the pain and suffering and drama that's going on out there. You know, added to our stress is Rachel's family is responding horribly to this, hurtfully toward her. Those, that's that's going to happen in life. Anyone that suggests that, you know, you get saved, you know, Jesus puts a bubble around you. Nothing will touch you from then on. Um, the... the, the the song there, that, you know, fear is a liar. You know, you know, don't be afraid to call liars out. You know, somebody says something like that to you, just tell them, you know what, that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And if you believe it, that you have a problem. What we need is resiliency. We need to be resilient. So I'm going to talk a little about it. I'm going to give you three things this morning that you can take away from this and then do whatever you want. Put them on a postcard, you know. Send them to your brother-in-law. I don't know. Do something with them. Three things that will help us to be more resilient. I want you to understand something. That no matter where you are in your faith right now, you can be more resilient. You can be, you, you can be better able to respond to the stress and the pressures that come into this life. Because we always have two choices when something like that happens. We have a choice of reacting or responding. Most people, what Elijah did in, in this text that we're looking at today is he reacted. Is that when, when the pressure happened, when, the, when, the, when, when he got pressed, his reaction was to run. We can choose to respond. It's different when we respond to something, we are making a conscious 
decision to do something. We're not letting our just flesh do what it wants. We are making a conscious decision to do something. Doesn't mean you're always going to do the right thing, but at least you're choosing something other than a, a physical reaction. First thing, be flexible. Be flexible. The more rigid you are, the more stress you're going to experience. Hear that. The more rigid you are, the more stress you will experience. If, for example, if I had, I should have brought, I could have probably brought some good examples of this. If you take a stick, a rigid stick, how much pressure will it take to break it? Probably, well, however big the stick is, but you, the, the moment you start, start bending it, it's feeling stress. It's feeling pressure, right? And you can go and go, and the, and the further you bend it, the more it's feeling until finally it snaps and breaks. If you have a rod that is flexible, as you start to bend it, the amount of stress it's actually feeling is significantly less than that rigid stick would be. If you want to get real mathematical, I can tell you the calculations later. I, I can't. I have no idea. There's so many factors to go into it, I couldn't tell you. But the more rigid you are, the easier it is to break you. And here's, here's the truth that we need to understand about that. To be rigid means there is one way. And my stepfather, you say it's my way or the highway. You probably have had people in your life that have said similar things. A boss might say that. You know, there is no other path but this. There is no other truth than this. There is no other reality than this. There is nothing. It has to be this way. And, and rigidity will lead to brokenness. Here's the thing. If you are a man of God, if you are, if you, are you know, one of God's guys, and, but you are rigid, you have an enemy, right? Do we not acknowledge that we have an enemy? We've already talked about that. As strong as you think you are, how much stronger is he? Infinitely stronger. If you are rigid, he will break you. He'll break you. In whatever area you're rigid, he will find a way and break you. Our only response is to be flexible so that when he applies that pressure, whoop, we just bend with it. And resiliency, the idea of flexibility is once, you know, once that pressure is gone, you go back to what, what is normal. You go back to your shape, but you're not broken by it or it takes a lot more effort to break you. You know, it's fascinating how sometimes the smallest of things can stress us out, right? Am I, am I preaching at the choir here? The reality is that sometimes it takes almost nothing to stress us out. When Kelly and I, we've been married for a while now, and, and for a significant part of our marriage, there was a regular source of stress in our relationship, it always had to do with us going somewhere. Anytime we were going somewhere, okay, we need to be there at noon. Okay, what time do you think Rick wants to be there? 11.45. Yeah, I, 15 minutes early was my plan. And depending on how far away, I would, I would sometimes make that gap a little bit bigger. Early is on time. Kelly, her idea is if it takes us 30 minutes to get there and we have to be there at noon, we leave at 1130. And that would be okay if as we're walking out the door, she doesn't say, oh, wait a minute, we have to go do that. And we have to go do that. And so, you know, in, in, in my mind, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, we were late 15 minutes ago, right? If we didn't leave 15 minutes early, we're leaving late. And now you're saying we're gonna, I, I, I'm going to have to take the do, walk the dog out and I'm going to have to oh, take out that trash and, you know, whatever else. You know, she, you know it, was, it was always random. You, you could, I could almost never predict it. And then, you know, so we're leaving and now we're leaving late. And, and I, my mind would just, it would stress me out so bad. 
It would, I mean, it would ruin anything that we were planning on doing for me. She had no concept of delay or, or traffic, none of that. And so, and so it, was, it bothered me. And, and it still does bother me a little bit, but I've grown a little bit. And over the decades, Kelly and I have changed. And God has ministered to my own heart on it. She, know, she knows that it bothers me. And so she has tried to make some adjustments. She will now ask me what time I would like to leave. And, and she won't fight me about wanting to leave a little bit early. She used to fight me. Oh, you don't need to do that. So I tell her what time I want to leave. And then I would always try to be done earlier than that. And so if I want to, if I want to leave at 1145, I'm going to be ready at 1130. And then I'm going to look around. Okay, what is she going to say we have to do at the last second? Okay, the dog's been out. The dog has water. Um, you know, this is done. That's done. Okay, I can't think of anything else that's going to stop us from going. There's still almost always something. Be flexible. If, if I was unwilling to change and make an ad- adjustment, and, and not only that, another thing that God has done in me is I don't freak out about the time anymore. You know, if we're going to be late, we're going to be late. You know, it, it's, it, has, it has gotten, I had to work out that because, I mean, I was, I mean, I was you know, former military. It's one of the things they train you, be on time. Time is important, blah, blah, blah. And so that was kind of ingrained in me, and it was already ingrained in me before that. But, you know, the, but then I've, I've allowed it to be, okay, it's just a stupid baby shower. I don't, it's not that important if we show up exactly on time or, you know, 15 minutes early. Philippians 2.3 says this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. One of the aspects of of this idea of being flexible is humility. It's not about you. You are not the most important thing in this. And if things don't go your way, so what? What? Who do you think you are? Now, again, now there's always exceptions. There's always things that we, can, we need to take some things more seriously than others. But very often, we're getting stressed out over things that really are not that important. If your boss, if the boss, wants something done in a way that you wouldn't do it, so what? What should you do? Do it his way. He is the boss even if he is a knucklehead. You know, knuckleheads get promoted all the time. Choose to be flexible. And, and every time you come to a decision and you come to something and something is in front of you and you start to feel stress, because that's all, always happening, you start to feel something, stress, you've got to ask yourself the question, wait a minute, wait a minute, why does this bother me? Why am, I, why am I upset by this? It, okay, yes, there's a better way to do that. Or, or, or that's not what I wanted. Or, or, you know, she's not thinking about me. Or whatever, whatever our stuff is. And ask yourself the question, what would it look like if I was being flexible here? Can I be flexible? You know, there's sometimes you can't be flexible. But most things, you probably can. You can bend. You can, you can move. You can do something different than what you're doing. Choose to be flexible. And at first, choose to be okay with being flexible. That's hard for some people. Saying, you know what, it's okay if I don't get my way. Remember, being flexible is an expression of humility. You don't have to have your way. You don't have to be right. There have been times where Kelly will want to do something, and I've, I've said, you know what, I don't think that's a good idea. And she says, I still want to do it anyways. Okay, go ahead. It's 
not going to change the world. It's not going to change. It's not going to. It's not going to be that big of a deal. It's going to cost us something probably. Okay, go ahead. I told you what I thought. Being flexible is important, especially as we're walking through this fallen world. Obstacles and roadblocks and detours are a regular part of life. If you're moving along your path and something stands in your way, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to bully your way through it? Or are you going to be flexible? Flexibility helps us not to be broken every time one of those things shows up, every time something interrupts our plan or, or forces us to change our plan or forces some level of inconvenience in our lives, you know, we've got to learn to just let these things go. Change what you can, but don't get freaked out by the rest. Yeah, we're living in a time high inflation and gas prices are changing the way people are living. They're changing what they do, changing their plans because they can't afford things that they were affording before. What are you going to do about it? Pray. You ask God what he wants you to do about it, and you ask him to help you be flexible. How do I bend with this? How do I, how do I not lose my sense of equilibrium and order in this situation, when this is threatening to disrupt everything in my life, how do I maintain my path here? Or am I on a detour that you've intended for me to walk? This thing with Rachel, I mean, we, we, can't, we can't avoid the path. It's a detour in our lives. It's not one we planned on. We have to walk this path, but there's something in there. There's something in it that God wants us to see and to learn and to do. Now, we don't know what that is. And so we just have to go there. But I can't fight it. I can't say, okay, yeah, Kelly, you go handle that. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. I'm going to go do what I, I, this can't disrupt my plan because my plan is, is just so much more important than that. That's not right. God brought that into our family. It's in our family. So now I need to know how God wants me, Rick, to behave, to act and to do in this situation, how do I make good by God's working through me in this? And that's true of everything that comes into our life, guys. It doesn't matter what comes into your life. God has something he's trying to do that's good in it. But if you're being hard and, and rigid and inflexible, you may not see it. And what will end up happening, it will break you. And, it, and that break, brokenness will come in lots of different ways. It'll come in fear. It'll come in anger. It'll come in resentment. It'll come in fleeing. It'll come in some activity that you will do that is contrary to God's heart and will and ways. Pray. Ask God to help you adjust your plan when this, this, those disruptions come and ask him to help you to be flexible. Second thing, accept reality. Accept reality. The, the first two go hand in hand. In fact, all three of them are just, just intimately connected with one another. But these two are so, so important. I know many of you have experienced something in your lives, and maybe not like what we're experiencing with Rachel, but something like it, some, some, some dramatic interruption to your plan. You know, something that came, okay, you know, losing a job is a, is a good one, okay? You know, I wasn't planning to lose my job today. That's not part of my plan. That's a disruption. That, that takes my life out of order. That, that really wrecks my equilibrium. I'm not, there's no balance anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm shaky, whatever you might, however you might describe yourself. I'm moving along, and all of a sudden, I'm not even sure where I'm going right now. Those things happen. When, when Rachel went into the hospital, everything changed in our family. I mean, it just like, it literally shut down our family for several days as we tried to figure out, okay, what do we do now? You know, they have a seven and four-year-olds, you know, that need to be cared for. You know, and in addition to taking care of them, you know, uh, you know Philip is also having to take care of his wife now to help her to do things that she, he never had to help her with before. 
she, you know, she has to, he has to help her stand up and walk to the bathroom. Okay, you know, and he was saying the other day, he says, you know, we were ta- I was talking about this move that we're going to do, this furniture we're going to move, and he says, and, it, and he just moments before complained that his back was bothering him because of lifting up his wife. You know, that, that act of re- leaning over and lifting her up was, was wrecking his back. You know, those kinds of things, we don't think about them. We don't plan for them, but that's going on. And because Philip is, he has to go to work, you know, he has to work. And, you know, the kids have to be taken to school and picked up from school. And so, you know, how do we, how do we get all these things balanced out? And friends are chipping in. You know, everybody that's touching their life, is, is their, their plans are changing. Their lives are changing. You know, Kelly is, she's doing a ton to help. You know, they live literally on our property, so she's there a lot. And I'm doing what I can to pick up what she's putting down, what she's leaving, you know, undone. I'm having to adapt my schedule, which is so important. I'm having to adapt my schedule so that I can make sure that I'm where I need to be to, to meet the needs of the family that I didn't have to last week, the week before. Now, we're hoping this is temporary. We're hoping that, that you know, it's, it's going to be, she's going to continue this process of healing and that, um, you know, and that she's going to get better. But we don't know that. We, we don't know to what degree it's going to get better. That is our reality, right? And, and I have a saying in my life, it is what it is. And we come to these things, we look at this reality and say, I don't like that reality. But it is what it is. It is my reality. And if I can't change it right now, I can't change it. I could run away. I'm not really sure where I would go, but I could run away somewhere. But what would I be doing? I could whine and complain. That would be fun for me. I could be angry or resentful. Or I could accept this reality and strive to be more flexible. Listen, guys, we can look at these things and say, you know what? It's unfair. It's unreasonable. It's, it's not right. It's, and we can explain our realities all the different ways that are true but at the end of the day you have to get to the end of it and say but it is it is what it is and i can either deny reality and and fight against reality or i can accept it and then allow god to lead me down a path to find the good in this reality because that's what he's calling us to that no matter what your reality is, it is your reality. And you can do what Elijah did. You could run away. But at some point, you're going to be in a cave. And hopefully you'll hear God's voice saying, uh, what are you doing here? Calling you to go back. And so instead of running away, I think he would say to us, just face your reality and accept it. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's good. None of that stuff. But it is what it is. Accept your reality and be more flexible. Third and finally, manage expectations. Manage expectations. An expectation is something, it's a thought that is focused on future results or actions. For example, I expect to get my desk moved into my office this morning. <laughs> that's my expectation, right? I made a plan, and I have an expectation that's going to happen. Or another one, staying in tune with what we're talking about, I expect Rachel to fully recover. Now, what's the problem with that expectation? may not be realistic. Again, remember the first two is that our, our, 
you know, you know to be we have to be flexible and accept reality. And so if we start making, having, seeing expectations that aren't based in reality. Now, uh, is it even right for me to say, I expect to move my desk into this office? And the reality is no. Why? Because I have no idea what's happening over at the storage unit right now. The thing could be on fire right now. I don't know that. I can say, I hope to move my desk in. I am planning to move my desk into the office. Actually, not I am, we are, planning to move my desk in there. But I can't absolutely say, I can't expect it. Here's what, here's what happens. When we create an expectation, something happens when that expectation goes unmet. When I expect something happen a certain way, a certain time, and it doesn't happen, it, it affects me in a negative way. It, it creates anger, resentment, bitterness, fear, all these different emotions that might come up because I'm expecting something to happen. We do it with people all the time. I expect Stephen to be nice to me. But what if he's having a bad day? And, and, and you know, he, he kind of like, he kind of walks past me without, without you know, giving me a hug. You know, oh, 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 wait a minute, what did I do? Well, you know, and we start, having, we start creating these false realities based on these, these wrong expectations, unrealistic expectations, and it leads to weird stuff. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said to, things to me, and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And it's because they have some expectation that I didn't even know about, that I didn't meet in their lives, and it was unrealistic to begin with, and because I didn't meet it the way they wanted to, it freaked them out. I've had people leave the church over things I didn't even know were going on. Listen, we can't, I cannot have an expectation that Rachel is going to fully recover. I cannot because I don't know the future. Only God knows the future. I hope for a full recovery. That's what my hope is. And my hope is not in science, is not in medicine, is not in her. My hope is in the God who loves her more than any of us do. That he has a plan to heal her fully. But because I don't know his plan, the best I can do is hope in her full recovery. What if she doesn't? What if she doesn't? What does that become? Reality. And what do I need to do with reality? I need to accept it. And once I've accepted reality, what do I need to do with my life? Be flexible. I need to flex my life around that reality. If my expectations are that she will recover fully, then if she takes too long getting there or doesn't actually do it, frustration is going to build up. I'm going to resent the time that Kelly is spending with her. I'm going to resent, who knows what may come out of that. My dinner is 30 minutes late again for crying out loud. Like, you know, I've missed a lot of meals. Our expectations must take the first two things into account. We must take reality into account. What is real and true? I, I don't, I cannot have an expectation in the full recovery of Rachel because I don't know if that's true. I don't know if she will. And so I can't have an expectation that says that. Can I have an expectation that she's going to get better? Well, yes, because she has been. So there is, a, there is this process going on. But even in that, I say, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means long-term. What is the reality of that? I have to keep coming back to that. What is real? What is true? And I have to let that be the source of all of my expectations. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the healing process is going to look like for her every day we're faced with the reality of how she's doing that day. And that becomes the reality. And that reality becomes the place where we choose to be flexible in that reality, whatever it is. 
whatever we have to adapt to, whatever we have to adjust to, whatever we have to bend to, it's because that is the reality. And being resilient means you're not, not easily broken and crushed by these things of life. These things come. They are going to come. You know, if it's not Rachel, it's going to be something else. It's, you know, there's it, always going to be something. You know, we, you, know, we've, you know, we've made some of those adjustments with Kelly's mom. Kelly's mom is in a facility there in Menifee. And, you know, and, and, you know, and she's, you know, she's old. She's decrepit. And, you know, and she, you know, she's doing and having happen those things that happen when somebody's old and decrepit. We have to adjust. We have to be flexible. We have to face reality, even if she's not. We have to face reality. Can't, if we're easily broken or crushed by the things that comes into our life, it says that we are not resilient enough. And, and I'm promising you guys, yeah, you aren't resilient enough. You know, Stephen asked me the question before the message. He, were, you, were you looking in my window before you wrote this message? Because he says that to me regularly. No, I wasn't. But, you know, I might have peeked into Kevin's, and I certainly was looking in the mirror on this one. You know, that the reality is that I know, I know what's going on in our lives. And I know that no matter where your life is, that, that something is going to come to create pressure or disorder in your life. That's because the world we live in. And I wish I could say it wasn't. I wish I could say that you are going to cruise through life, bank accounts full, health perfect, right up to the point of the rapture. No worry, no sweat. The world's going to pay you no mind. It's not reality. One of our points, accept reality. Be flexible. Make a plan. Make a plan for life. Make a plan for whatever is going on in your life. But then, if life throws a change or an interruption or a detour or a roadblock, don't freak out. Don't go running for a cave on Mount Horeb. Adapt. Keep going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Accept reality. God holds all of reality in his hands. All of it. Everything that is real, God holds in his hands. So if God's got it in his hands, does it make sense that we should accept it? Yes. Doesn't mean we approve of it. You know, some things that are going on in the world we don't approve of, but we accept the reality of it. Is it, is it real that there are people out there, there's a whole movement out there to convince people that men can be women? Yes, that is real. It's broken. It's wrong. But that's the reality we live in. And so we need to adapt to that. We don't accept it. We accept the reality of it. We don't accept the lie of it. Accept reality. God holds all of reality in his hands. Trust him. Trust him. I, I, can, I can look at this situation with Rachel with Rachel and say, okay, that is reality. God is holding that in his hands. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable to me. I feel for the whole family. I'm fe- I am feeling part of it. It's reality, but I can accept it because God is there. He's holding it in his hands, and there is a plan that I don't see yet. I don't understand yet, but there is a plan. And manage expectations. Only God knows the future. Place all your hope in him and be ready to be flexible and accept whatever reality comes. Pathfinders are resilient. Be more resilient today. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for your time, our time here. We thank you, Lord, that you give us this time that allow us to be here. And Lord, as, as many as are staying to help with this move thing, or I'm hoping a couple, maybe, Lord God, that you would uh, keep us safe while we do it. And Lord, all that we do, Lord God, we entrust to you. As we stand here as men who have a desire to be more like your son, Jesus, and you called us to this thing that we are referring to um, in this study as, as a pathfinder, someone who has the calling and understanding that they are to walk the path in front of others, that they are to walk that path through the darkness and the, and the tangle of this world. 
in the hopes of making the way easier for those who follow. And so I pray for us, Lord God, that you would help us to be those men, that you would help us to have our eyes on you, that we might see the, the, the direction you're calling us to, that, um, that we would have um, the word of God uh, dwelling richly in our hearts to, to, to cut through the, the tangle of this world and that Holy Spirit, that you would give us the strength that we need to take one more step for Jesus Christ. We praise you. We love you. Help us to keep our eyes on those that are following, that we might help them um, to, to walk the path more easily than, um, than they might have to otherwise. We praise you, Lord. We give this time to you, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being a part of Pathfinders. This series is for men who want to make a difference in the world around them. We want to partner with you on this exciting journey. Go to calvaryfv.com slash pathfinders and click on the engage button. We'll periodically send you encouragements and exhortations to be the pathfinder God created you to be. Every man needs help periodically, so please let us know if there is any way that we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 62488. If this material has blessed you in some way, you find it useful in any way, please leave a comment or review and subscribe to it, this channel, so that you don't miss any other things that we publish and send it to someone else that might need to hear it or see it. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ, to find their way. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 62488. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Jesus.